0: Appreciate you guys coming out so much on Sunday. It was a beautiful, uh, beautiful day, and we did uh, celebrate—not a church, but a good God. We didn't celebrate creation; we celebrated Creator, and it was—it was fun walking around because uh, my question to folks was just, "Hey, like, what's been your story here? What's been your perspective?" And uh, it's awesome because everyone has a varied thought and perspective, and because God's done different things in all of us, everyone has different opinions. In general, everyone has different opinions. Have you noticed this about our, our culture? Okay? I, I want to put it to the test. Okay? I want to put our opinion to the test. We're going to start lighthearted, and it's going to progressively get a little bit heavier. Okay? This is going to be really, really interesting. So let's, uh, let's start here. All right? In this room, snack choice, Skittles or Snickers? Okay? So hold on a second. How many, how many Skittles, folks, by raise of hand? All right? Okay? How about Snickers? How about the chocolate lovers? All right, interesting, interesting, right? We all have a varied opinion. I'm, I'm really passionate about this next one. Next uh, slide, lodging choice, camp or hotel. I mean, I'll even throw in motel. I don't care. Uh, how, how many would rather camp, okay? <laughs> what have we taught you? Anything here? Okay. So how many how many hotelers how many hotelers yeah that one's about evenly spaced out okay that's really really interesting all right now uh, let's let's push the pedal down a little bit here next slide okay Taylor Swift pop star or pop poser okay curious I'm interested what's your opinion what's your thought think about it pray through it all right how many think Taylor the T Swift is a pop star all females and one male. Yeah, okay, he went to the concert with his mom. Um, how many think T. Swift is a pop poser? Not as boisterous, though, as the first crew. All right. Now, I never, ever in my whole life thought I would actually put up this next slide. But here we go, just for fun. Party choice, Republican or Democrat. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Now we're having some fun. <laughs> some people in here are starting to get a little bit nervous, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Listen, uh, we all have our own opinion about a lot of things. And um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as you, as you share some of your most passionate opinions, it can... It can easily divide right um, especially that last one and, and many like it in the right setting the right context your opinion on those matters is divisive it's caused rifts and relationships um, I call it the death toll of division in a World War II the death toll of division took 60 to 85 million lives, division. In World War I, the death toll of division was 17 million human beings. In the Three Kingdom Wars in, uh, in ancient uh, China, this is uh, back in 180, uh, 184, it's about 250 A.D., 36 to 40 million lives, The death toll of divisiveness, of division. And even just here recently, the Great War of Africa, 1998 to about 2003, took uh, some estimates, say, 5.5 million lives. That was like 10 years ago. Now, um, you want to start talking about the death toll of division in the church, and things start getting really interesting. Uh, Maybe we move from literal to figurative, but some of you have been slain in divisiveness. Uh, Some of the greatest hurts that you have ever experienced in your life have been in the context of the church. Does that not, like, intrigue anyone else here? Uh, That some of your stories, in fact, most folks that I talk to that left the church, and there's a lot of folks that are here that left the church six, seven, eight years ago, and they're here giving it another shot. Most of their story is six, seven, eight, ten, twenty years ago, something happened in terms of divisiveness and they became a part of the death toll. And so they ran from the church and associated that death or that hurt with Christ. And and it's incredibly unfortunate that that happens. Uh, Now, this is significant for us in our study of 1 Corinthians because this is the issue. Tonight, we're going to see his thesis statement of the whole letter. Uh, he started out really nice last week. Paul, tonight, like, goes right to the heart. And tonight's going to be one of those nights where you're going to continue to see the relevancy of God's Word to you and I, right? So first, let me remind you where we're at in the world, okay? Cue the map. Check this out. There's Corinth, okay? He's taken from outer space. Crazy. You remember the Isthmus? okay, that, that connects... Uh, Corinth with the opposite side. It's a port city, which means it's very wealthy. Port's on both sides. Corinth uh, becomes known for its temples. And I told you guys last week, it's worship of sex and idolatry. I told you last week uh, that uh, the Corinthians would go into a temple and there would be shrines, not just to our God, but to many gods. And so they would like go around the labyrinth, as it were, and worship all the gods. The thought was, the more gods we worship, the better off we are, how counter uh, to Christianity that thought is, right? And so tonight as we pick up, we're going to see his thesis, we're going to walk through some incredible tension, and I hope and pray that your heart walks out of here changed. I've learned a lot coming into tonight, so open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to slow it down a lot tonight, verse 10 to 17, just a few verses. If you're just joining us tonight, welcome. Seriously, it's an honor to have you here. I got to meet a brand new sister earlier, and I know many of you uh, here for the first time. Seriously, it's an honor. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Here's what Paul says. Next slide. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It is absolutely clear that this is, for at least the first half of 1 Corinthians, his thesis statement. He is longing for unity in the church because apparently there has uh, become, after he has left Corinth, tremendous dissension, tremendous division, and it's happened in the church. How do we know that? Because he says, I appeal to you, what's the word? Brothers. Brothers. He uses that word over 39 times in the letter. The letter is written to the church. So apparently something has happened within the church that has caused it to divide. I want to hone in on a couple different words here. He says, let there be no divisions among you. Division is uh, specific. In other words, like it's one thing to disagree with someone. Have you ever experienced this with your spouse, right? Like we disagree often, but it doesn't mean that we're divided. I mean, simple things like restaurant choice for a date, Right, other things about the temperature in the house. Right, how many of your spouses you like it a little bit warmer in the house? Any of you? Okay, all right, not many of you. Interesting. Okay, not trying to save no bills. I see. Uh, You come to my house when you go to sleep. It's going to be a blazing sixty-four to sixty-five degrees, and I sleep with a box fan on my face. Okay, right. Listen, it's one thing. It's one thing to disagree. And I'm even going to take a step further that sometimes in journeying or wrestling through disagreement, tremendous unity comes. Even if if at the end of the day you're just like, look, we're going to disagree, but it doesn't mean that like I've stopped loving you. You just think that McDonald's is better than Burger King and the like, right? And certainly some more significant things than that. The division word though here is different. The division word here implies a tearing or a ripping. We could say it this way, a severing of relationship. That something has happened in the church of Corinth that is not just causing disagreement about teaching or open-handed doctrinal issues, but that's literally causing relationships to rip apart. Now, some of you have experienced this firsthand, Right? Or relationships that you thought were insanely strong, that you thought were built on the foundation of Christ. And then, whatever the issue was, still to this day, there are some people that you haven't talked to since the divide. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. There has been a rip. His appeal, though, is that they don't sit in these divisions, but that they become united United here is a really interesting Greek word. We find it in Matthew and Mark's gospel, and the word united is used to talk about mending fishing nets. So fishing nets had broken apart, and the disciples, as it were, in both of those gospels, are mending them together or uniting them. So his appeal is present day. There's been a rip and a tear, divisiveness in relationship, and now I want you, I desire, I'm appealing to you to see that those relationships are mended. Why? Because unity is insanely powerful, isn't it? Uh, this will be a weird story to get the point across, but stay with me. My senior year of high school, um, there's a lot of different things we could use to like to like talk about this kind of story, right? Like uh, we could use some, some cheesy analogies. We could use athletics. I'm not. I'm going to use band, okay? How many of you, how many of you band folks in high school, right? How many of you guys played band? There we go. The band, uh, some people have affinity called you the band nerds or geeks, okay? I was one of those, okay? In my small town, you could play sports and still be in band. Now, there was one song in particular that I absolutely was obsessed with, okay? It was a song called Exaltation. And on the last day of my senior year, Okay, the band director, Mr. Reed Bippen, who, long story short, ended up becoming the band director in St. Charles. Crazy, okay? So my small town in Illinois, he moved to St. Charles, like, around the same time I did, wild. He says, hey, Mark, he's like, you want to you wanna direct Exaltation? And I was like, are you kidding me? So I, like, I stood up in front of this 100-person band, and I'm like, you know, I have a clip of exaltation for you. This is how epic the song was. Fire the laser, Andrew. Check this out. Listen to this. Powerful. Come on, give it some more meat, man. Feel it right now. Come on. And man, like. (laughs) mm. Like at the end of that. I mean, I just like sat in it and it just it, it enveloped it. It was, a, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. True story. Okay. <laughs> Salvation directing exaltation, all right? And they rhymed, too. Didn't plan that. But there's something about, there was something about in that moment, like all of these instruments, like achieving a common goal, being united in something and getting to see it from that perspective. I had never seen that perspective before. It's the same kind of feeling that you have when uh, you work with a small group of people or, or you're in a relationship and you feel like you're together on point. Like unity is insanely powerful. Being together, uh, having that sense of camaraderie, it's, it's crazy. Right. I would say equally as powerful, it's adverse in division. This is Paul's appeal. You've been broken, you've severed. Relationships have been torn, but I'm appealing to you that there can be something more for those relationships now we start to find out what's happened okay verse 11 check this out for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people which I I like I chuckle at that every single time so apparently Chloe which we're not sure who he is she has an entourage okay and Chloe and her entourage um, have suggested to Paul somehow that there is quarreling among them my brothers Now the quarreling here again this isn't like a oh i disagree with you oh and yes i disagree with you too the quarreling is strife quarreling implies um debating with contention okay and it's clear what paul's saying they are quarreling about the wrong things and so i want to propose to you so that this gets very relevant for you how we can address that in our own experience Have there been some things that maybe in the church, maybe your past, or even maybe our present, that we've quarreled in the church on the wrong issues? So let's look at a few of these. Number one, yep, I'm going to say it. Here we go. I am guaranteeing you, I'm guaranteeing you, if you have been a believer, if you were a believer through the 90s, you saw this quarrel. And it rages on. Okay. And, and so what's happened then, right, is, in my experience, is that, is that because of the quarrel, uh, church bodies started to say, okay, so here's what we're going to do to combat that. We're going to have a blended service. We're going to have a contemporary service. We're going to have a traditional service. We're going to have a hip-hop service. We're going to have a, you know, a service for these people. And so they lay out their eight services, and, and, and in so doing, I believe at times, not all the time, I'm not going to make a judgment across the board, but certainly in doing so, the communication is, listen, we're going to appease everybody. And they use the scriptures like be all things to all people. I think that's taken a bit out, out of context. All right. Listen, when worship style becomes a place of quarreling, where believers have stopped talking about the one that they're worshiping and how they're doing it, do you see how much the enemy would enjoy this? Hey, you guys keep arguing about how you're going to worship because what it's doing is it's deterring the heart of worship in worshiping in spirit and in truth that Jesus talked about. You keep going, keep arguing about instrumentation, keep quarreling about volume, keep wrestling with all these things. Instead, what what we're trying to do here is say, listen, this is God's vision that he's given our church about how we're going to express our worship. And that may not be for everyone. What we're not going to do is is cater to every single kind of style. We're going to be who God's called us to be. We're going to sing songs that worship the Lord Jesus and not make Jesus our boyfriend. And we're going to go for it. Okay. And so, some of you, you may disagree with that. And that, listen... It's okay to disagree. There's plenty of other amazing church bodies that have worship styles that maybe will fit you better. That's okay. It's one thing for the church to disagree. It's another thing for us to divide. Does that make sense? Okay. Worship style is the wrong thing that we should be quarreling about. Number two, brick and mortar. Hello. You guys know this. I've shared this many times. Committee meetings that I've sat in that have argued about carpet color. You know, where should we put the chandelier, you know, and how, how should the aesthetics over, and and then literally like divisions in relationship about how the structure that's going to house like God's people and non-believers who are curious, doesn't that seem a little bit counterintuitive? arguing about paint color, arguing about how we're going to do the floor. I, I, you guys know the story. We did our foyer in $30 Lowe's garage sealer. And no one was arguing, right? I was like, hey, boys, we're just going to throw some garage sealer. Everyone's like, right on. Who cares? Okay. Right. Now, does, Mark, does that mean that you shouldn't strive for excellence? No, I'm not saying that. We just don't believe here that excellent means that every brick is perfectly placed and that every paint is perfectly done. For those of you guys that were here before, when I chose the paint colors, our bathrooms were poop brown. Clearly, I made some errors, but who cares? <laughs> and thankfully, I'm the one that had to bring it up. Like, no one ever came up to me except a couple of our staff guys. We won't mention any names, Brandon and Jared. No one else, no one else ever came to me, right? I was like, hey, I don't know about the paint color, right? Right? So I'm thankful for that. But this, is, this has created certain dissension and contention, we could say, in the body of Christ. Brick and mortar. Number three, examples of wrong quarreling in the church. Personal conveniences and comfort. And I don't want to overstep my doctrinal bounds here, but I do want to make sure you understand. The enemy celebrates, to the highest extent, division in the church celebrates it. Why? Because he sees believers arguing about things that are going to provide a flesh and blood comfort which does not and is not promised anywhere in the Scripture. When the Scripture calls God the God of all comfort, the God of all comfort is coming in our heart and Comforting our spirit and causing our, our mind to, be our, to revolve around him. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through chaos and hurt and pain and all those things in, the, in this life. But, but we see the church, and we've certainly even seen it here recently around us. When hurt and pain come in and it causes like this, this like against comfort mentality, then all kinds of doctrine, all kinds of theology come out. And I believe the enemy celebrates it. Now, I save the last one for us in particular. I believe this could be one of our challenges specifically for Matthias. Number four, mission strategy. In other words, it's being in the war room but never going to war. You guys know what I'm saying? It's gatherings that have the potential to talk about war a lot, to talk about mission a lot, to talk about making disciples a lot, to talk about loving our community a lot. And we all like look at the war maps and everyone's like mapping it out and we're even like playing risk together, right? We're having fun. But then we, we walk out and it's, it's as if it's way more fun just to talk about mission strategy. And then we begin to quarrel about which strategy is the best. We read books about which strategy is the best, and we struggle to implement any of it. Well, I believe discipleship should be this way, and I believe that you know, loving the community should be this way, and, and okay, and so let's, let's just love the community and learn as we go together, because we're all going to make mistakes, but guided by the Spirit of God, like, let's see what happens. I think you would agree with me. When the church finds itself, when the body of Christ finds itself quarreling contentiously over these things. It is wasting time. And here's what I've realized more and more. Time is short. And so we can spend our entirety as a church body quarreling about things that will ultimately divide us or we have another option and that's what Paul is appealing to these brothers and sisters. I appeal to you. No more division. Mend reconcile, work through, wrestle together, process. And so he goes on to show exactly what the problem is. Verse 12. What I mean is, and I love that, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So now we have the exact issue in Corinth. So what happens is Paul plants Corinth, the Corinthian church, he leaves, and then enters, Acts 18 says, Apollos, okay, close to the Rocky IV hero, okay, Uh, but Apollos, no one, Rocky IV, Apollo Creed, anyway, you'll get that later, okay, Jared, I thought for sure you would get that, is he in here, come on man, you're my movie guy, right, now Apollos comes in after Paul leaves Corinth, and what happens is we find out Apollos doesn't understand some components of the gospel, but he's a very, very precise communicator. He's very, very strong. Uh, A couple friends of Paul's uh, include Apollos in some of the teaching that he's missed out on, and what the Scripture says is the dude just starts going crazy. So Apollos rises as a leader. Paul also mentions Cephas. Who's Cephas, anybody? Peter. Peter. Okay, We don't know for sure if Peter ever made it to Corinth. But apparently there are some that have either heard about Peter, met him, or uh, journeyed with him through the grapevine, and and they're following him, and then some, uh, finally, maybe rightfully so, I follow Christ. So what's happened is there are four different groups in the Corinthian church, Uh, uh, four facets maybe. We could even say my least favorite word in the English language, four clicks, okay? Now what's happened is each of these groups have said, you know what, um... The message of Cephas, that's what I'm talking about, right? The way he brings it, you know, how he like moves his hands when he throws it down, right? Or the way Apollos, you know, the way he shepherds my heart through his creative words and his illustrations. And that one time he used that amazing prop, like Apollos is my man. And then others are like, no, 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 the original, like Paul, man. Paul is where it's at. Don't you remember? I mean, that dude's hardcore. He's never even married. He's so passionate about the gospel. And then finally others, no, 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 you're all wrong. Christ is who we need to follow. And you're like, well, how does that apply? Oh, yeah? You guys like you some Chandler? Uh Uh-huh. Some of you guys have heard of Tim Keller, um, Mark Driscoll, and on and on. Many of the powerful communicators uh, in our culture today. I've shared it before here. One of the most dangerous facets and simultaneously some of the most helpful is that we can listen to any pastor in the entire entire United States. Like, we could spend tomorrow listening to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And in doing so, beginning to worship man. Uh, We make very clear here, we made it very clear here on Sunday, and we'll continue to make it crystal clear and I can't like make you believe what I'm saying, but I want you to understand this. Christ is the cornerstone of this church. We desire long and want to continue to build not on the gifts of man, but on Christ as the cornerstone. And so the way that that happens, let me make sure you understand. The way that that happens is I, and everyone who communicates and everyone who leads, continues to confess sin. Now, I don't do it for confession of sin's sake, but I do it so that you know we're all in the body of Christ together and we're all journeying. And not one of us has yet to be perfected. And so just because God has called me to proclaim God's word and that's uh, that's the calling on my life and the gifting that he's given me, that does not for one second elevate me or any other pastor or priest or anybody Above anyone else in the body of Christ. Are we together? There is one head and one body. Does that make sense? Okay. So what's happened in Corinth is people have elevated man creation above creator. And in doing so, they've created dissension. In other words, like my homeboy here, he's like, oh yeah, I, I'm all for Peter. And I say, no, I'm all for Apollos. And it's caused our relationship to divide over that. When if there was something else that could have happened, something deeper, something... Christ-like that could have done and happened in our heart, then maybe, just maybe, we would have understand something powerful. And now Paul gets a little snippy. You guys ready to see this? Check this out. I love this. Three questions. Is Christ divided? Can you, you know, can you gather a hint of sarcasm? Was Paul crucified for you, speaking of himself? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Right? Like, when you were baptized, was the, and in the name of Paul and Paul and Paul, I now baptize you, raised to, you know, like, but the first thing that he says is, is Christ divided? Here we go. And I'm just going to be honest with you, like, this, this piece of this passage, this question, the answer is clearly no, but it just absolutely has my heart. Why? Every single person in this room has had an opinion about Jesus that has been inaccurate. Every single one of us, including myself. Now, what's happened is, right, there have been been times where you've heard someone quote a scripture that wasn't a scripture, and you believed it because they said it, you know, and where is it? I don't know, it's in like Second Hesitations, you know, 3-5. And you didn't call them on it. Second hesitations. oh yeah, right on, that must, you know, it's right behind, you know, Second Habakkuk, or whatever that book is called, okay, also not a book, right? Second Habakkuk, okay, Habakkuk is, anyway, okay, right? So then what happens is, you start uh, conjuring up Jesus in your own mind. What Paul is saying is, like, is, is your Jesus different than so-and-so's Jesus? And is is Peter's Jesus different from Apollos' Jesus? Is Christ divided? Are they they preaching a a different kind of Christ? And when that happens, in our own hearts or our own minds, I want to make very clear that all of you understand this. No matter what your opinion is about Christ, if it is incorrect, it it does not change the identity of Jesus, ever. So just because the Mormon says X, Y, Z about Jesus, hear me, it doesn't make it true. Like just because they say, well, here's here's who Jesus is. I don't care what any man says about Jesus. This book has told me exactly who the Lord Jesus is. So I don't need to listen to some uh, other denomination. I don't need to listen to some other religion In fact, my friends, I pray and hope that every word that's ever communicated to you publicly, you test. Don't take my word for it. Look in the scripture for yourself. Why? Because in it, your heart will long for the real Jesus and not some human opinionated Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. Is Christ divided? Is Christ like segmented? No. I love the next one. Was Paul crucified for you? No, that's not true. Oh, he'll die. He'll be martyred. But let, let, like, let's make sure everyone understands. Paul's death will not ransom sin. It's not going to pay a debt. His death will be in obedience and out of love for, for God through Christ. Like, that's what his death is. And finally, he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? So next slide. We kind of get some more indication then of what's happening. Maybe, maybe some of the contention was over baptism. Verse 14. I, I love this. This is hilarious, actually. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. (laughs) So now he's like, were were people baptized in the name of Paul? Hold on a second. Here's what a picture happened. He starts recollecting the people that he baptized. He's like, okay, so Corinth, and let's be honest. Dude's baptized a whole lot of people, right? So look at this. This is hilarious. He's like talking out loud, okay? Thinking out loud. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Hold on a second. (laughs) Verse 16, check this out. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus, right? She's like, I only baptized those two. Hold on a second. Wait, carry the one. Yep, Stephan is two. Okay. (laughs) Beyond that, then he gives himself an out. I do not know whether I baptize anyone else, right? (laughs) This is awesome. Well, hey, listen, let's just, again, like this is the problem when you baptize thousands of people, okay? She's like, hold on a second, I'm not sure. Um, Well, apparently what's happened then is maybe part of the dissension or the division in the church is based on uh, who baptized. Not all of it, but maybe part of it. So one person says, well, I was baptized by Peter, so Peter's my man. Look, um, when you put your hope and trust in man, they will 100% of the time fail you. I will fail you. Today I was sitting with a, a good friend. Had to apologize. Three, four, five different things that I had done. I would failed them. I had sinned against them. Like, I pray by the power of the work of the Spirit that I'll continue to be sanctified and grow and mature in Christ. But I fail. I sin. I fall short. That's where some of the pain has come from, right? Come on. Like you found your, your hope and your trust in the words of man or the charisma of man or the leadership of a man or woman in your life, a discipling relationship, your parents' faith. And then when they uh, backstabbed you, then when they gossiped about you, then when they uh, openly and publicly sinned, then when they, you fill in the blank, all of a sudden, your faith Crumbled. So do you see now why there is so much division in the church and certainly why there was so much in Corinth? Their faith was crumbling in God because they had put their faith in a man. It's one of the most dangerous things that we can do still to this day and I pray it is not happening in this body. That is why on Sunday we didn't celebrate 10 years of an awesome church. We said God is gracious. We didn't deserve one day and yet God did a work. He's the one that planted the church. He's the one that's shepherding the church. Doing everything we can to diminish the works of man and exalt the one who is at the wheel, right? Okay. Now, you ready for this? Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Some of you are like, hold on, wait a minute. Let me put some doctrine error in it, okay? Just hold on a second. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, okay, the learned here are like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is Paul saying that he shouldn't be baptizing people? Is that the statement that he's making? No. He just talked about baptizing people. We see in Acts him baptizing whole households. Clearly he's not against baptizing people. But what is he saying? He's saying that the calling on his life and, and making sure that the people who are reading this understand, one, baptism and salvation are not connected. In other words, just because you are baptized, it does not mean that you are in Christ. Is everyone together on that? Okay. Now, here we go. You guys ready for this? What's happened in the church on the issue of baptism is that there is a camp that says, uh, we believe in baby baptism. There's another camp that says, no, we're going we're to baptize believers. That's what we believe here. And then there's another camp that says, uh, no, you have to be baptized to be a Christian. All right. I believe that this camp and this camp can disagree and not divide. Are we together? I can say to my brothers who are baptizing babies, and we can walk through the doctrine that they believe, and we at the end of the day can disagree, and I could say, preach Jesus. Like, rest in the truth, and we'll be brothers and sisters in Christ. What I can't do, though, is I can't get to this camp, folks who say that baptism and salvation are unified, that you have to be baptized to be saved. What I can't say in that camp is, oh, yeah, you know what, we're 100% united. I can't say that. Because that is, I believe, biblically inaccurate all over the place. Does that make sense? Okay. But infant baptism and believer baptism, though I believe there's a clear biblical argument, what I'm not going to do is divide the church over that. It's the same way. You guys ready to go? Here we go. Come on now. It's the same way that we don't talk about Calvin here. You're like, I've been waiting for him to say Calvin. Praise be to the Lord. Right? Okay, it's the same reason why we don't say Arminian. Do you guys see either of those two words in the scripture? Do you see them there? Anybody? Anybody? Some of you are like, I don't know. Is that right behind first hesitations? No, it is not. It is not there. Listen, we will not hear me. We will not divide the body of Christ on that particular doctrine issue. I have brothers and sisters in both sides of the camp, and so you don't even know what I'm talking about. And you know what? Praise be to God, okay? <laughs> And I've had amazing conversations with brothers and sisters. And you know what we've done? Is we've talked and we've wrestled and even at times we'll disagree. But guess what? We're unified in Christ. But do you guys know what's happening all over the place? Is on that issue in particular, and I'll say, especially on college campuses, is people are having arguments about that particular kind of theology and they're like saying, well, forget you you know what the world has seen? A bunch of people whose time is consumed with arguing with one another that have no time for mission. And then in that, the enemy has us right where he wants us. Quarreling, arguing amongst ourselves instead of celebrating what we have in Christ. And that's Paul's fear. Look what he says in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. I'm not lessening baptism, he's saying, but, but I'm, I'm here to preach the gospel. And he says not with eloquent wisdom, which would have certainly rung true for a Greek, okay? Corinth is in like Greek land, Greek culture, high power wisdom. It's not that in other places in Acts, he doesn't come uh, teaching and even using the philosophy of the day. But here in Greek land, he's saying like, I came and he'll say later to preach Christ and Christ crucified. Because what he doesn't want to do is empty the cross of its power. Now, it's that particular point that has taught me so much. And so I want to share with you. Is that cool? Okay. But first, I want to ask this. How have you been impacted by the death toll of division? In any realm of life. Divorce. Employment cut, and because of it, relationships gone, church hurt, church pain, that one relationship that used to be BFF forever, and now you're completely divided, I haven't even talked to them in three or four years, I haven't been interested in reconciliation. You're not, you're not going for the mending of the fishing net, as it were. You're glad that it's broke. How has it taken its soul on you? So I was wrestling with the power of the cross on that issue specifically. Then what is the key to unity? Like, even though this is his thesis and he's gonna like map it out, why does he say this now? And then I was reminded of this. So you wanna talk about the impact of the death toll of division. then it has to start with the cross. Listen. Jesus comes, lives perfectly. No sin. Again, there's parties that want to argue that. We believe that the scripture is true, 100%. And so because of that, the Bible says he was without sin, and so we're going with it. He does not fail, he does not sin. He is sinless. So he should be innocent of death. Like, not condemned. If there's one person who has ever lived that shouldn't die for something, it would have been him, the innocent. Even the thief realized that. And yet, think about the impact of the death toll. As Christ hangs on the cross, listen, there is no image and passion of the Christ that can grip the moment. As the God man, the perfect Passover lamb, hangs on the cross and bleeds out. Listen, do you understand what's happening? Propitiation is the doctrinal word. He takes on the wrath of God because of sin. Your sin, my sin. And in doing so, what? Come on. What happens? All of a sudden, Christ, divided from the Father, as he takes on the sin of the world in those moments. Cannot be united with God in that sin. He takes on sin. He takes on God's wrath. God puts all of the wrath that you and I deserve and puts it on his son. now all of a sudden we're starting to see a different kind of death toll. A different kind of power that can happen in division. Christ takes on the sin of the world, and how does Romans six ten end? For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He takes on this death, he separates himself takes on the wrath of God, so that what? So that anyone now in him can be unified to God. The divide between people and God is done. Which means then that anyone who submits to the Lord Jesus, it's not just has unity, but can be unified. This is why Paul does not want to empty the cross of its power. This is why he's preaching the gospel. This is why he's appealing to the division. What he is saying is your division is taking what the cross has done and it's spitting on it. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Look at this. Our unity is evidence of the power of the cross. Are we together? Our unity is evidence of that. Why? Because listen, we all have opinions. We all have differences. We all have stories. We all have things that that maybe we could even say in our sin should divide us. But guess what we get to do in Christ? We get to say, even today in a conversation with a friend, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've wronged you, I've wronged your family, and I'm sorry. And a moment that could have divided us forever, I pray, will bring healing and reconciliation. And that's the one thing I believe so deeply that the world must see is brothers and sisters who aren't lessening the power of the cross, but that are saying, God, thank you for sending your son to unify me with you and everyone else who would claim you as king. So what does that mean tonight, friends? That means there's some reconciliation that needs to happen. The person that hurt you, wronged you, has done so much against you. There's a biblical pattern for what that kind of reconciliation is to look like and it starts not by talking about them behind their back or rallying a group of people that are also angry with them. It starts by going to them. Giving them an opportunity to respond and apologize. Do you know the impact on a non-believer when they see clear-cut division and then for no reason apart from grace they see reconciliation do you know the impact because they have division in their life they have relationships that they would say are beyond repair and so to them there is no way that any unity can come and we get the chance because of the cross and an empty tomb to show them that there is a way That because of christ we can be unified And so it's time for reconciliation and conversations and allowing folks the opportunity to apologize. But I'll say this as well, my friends. Some of the hurt, some of the pain, some of the, the things that you've held up for years against others that maybe you won't be able to make contact with. What does it look like tonight to ask God to create such a grace and forgiveness to overcome your heart that you could free that memory from your mind, you could free that grudge that you've held for years and that tonight, including myself and my baggage and the junk that I've been through in the church, that tonight we could collectively say, may we be the evidence of the power of the cross That he died a death once for all. That in that division, somehow, he united. So, what if tonight we celebrated that? What if tonight God did a work of unity in our body around the cross that he never has before? And so, tonight, we're going to take this meal together, we're going to come around the cross remembering the power of Jesus. We're going to take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And in so doing, thanking God for the unity that we can share with His Son. The bread, a reminder of His broken body. The cup, a reminder of His shed blood. And all of it tonight, a reminder of grace. So church, I appeal to you be unified in Christ. Not because we're called to, but listen, because in Christ we can. Father, do that work in our hearts now. I pray that the death toll would be done. That in your sacrifice, in your death, there's no more death that needs to happen within your body. So thank you, God, for life and providing it. Help us tonight celebrate the unity that we share with one another through the work of your spirit. Respond when you're ready, church. Come on, let's celebrate.